We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. Welcome back, loyal listeners, to the fifth episode of the Blackboard Ally Tour podcast series. We've made a quick drive down from Gaston College in North Carolina and arrived here at the campus of the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. It's our first visit to a medical school. It's gonna be really interesting to hear about some of the unique accessibility challenges that they deal with in terms of medical school curriculum, as well as how they're thinking about inclusivity to the broader hospital and patient community. So let's check in with two members of the team to hear a little bit about their story. All right, so I am here at Musk, the Medical University of South Carolina. I'm glad I got the name right this time. And I'm here uh, with the team who's really supporting the Ally rollout and really thinking closely about how to support students in medical university on how to um, really succeed, be successful in, in very challenging learning environments. Uh, you all are facing some unique accessibility challenges, so we'll talk a little bit about what those challenges look like and how you're using Ally and UDL and other sound digital pedagogy to, to support those students. So first, I'll allow Melissa and Alex to introduce themselves. I'll start with Melissa. Hi, I'm Melissa Hortman. I'm the Director of Instructional Technology here at the Medical University of South Carolina. My role is in the central office in instructional technology and faculty resources. Uh, we provide support around technologies and good teaching practices, media and graphics, as well as classroom support to the entire campus, all six colleges here at MUSC. Um, I'm Alex Walters. I'm the Senior Instructional Designer and Digital Accessibility Specialist, also with the Office of Instructional Technology and Faculty Resources. My role really centers around a lot of training, best practices for online learning, instructional design, and really helping faculty learn how to teach. So tell me just a little bit about the university here. You mentioned you have six colleges. What kind of programs do you offer? How much is kind of online, on ground? Just a little background. So at the Medical University, we have six colleges here. Uh, the College of Nursing, College of Pharmacy, College of Dental Medicine, College of Graduate Studies, College of Medicine, and College of Health Professions. So we have a wide variety of health professions here at MUSC, and they're all graduate level, doctorate level programs. So we're getting students from all walks of life. And we have a, some unique challenges here where many of the health professions have this a sort of antiquated look at their profession of, I had to go through this and I, I had to go through these admission standards. So our students have to go through that too. And this sort of rigor that comes with it. Our students are extremely stressed out and anxious. Um, all of the time, our entire library is full with students studying 24 seven. Um, our lecture capture system has, we're on track for 80,000 hours of viewing lecture content this year, just because students are studying all the time. They're studying in class while they're in class. They're studying outside of class. They're missing class to study. It's all about passing that board exam, that kind of next step to become that professional that they would like to be. And 
and I mean, ultimately help people. So that's why they're here, because they care about people, they care about their profession, and they want to help all types of people. And you're using open LMS here at the university. What, what is the usage? How do they organize courses? I mean, I, I imagine it varies quite a bit, but what do you see from an instructional design perspective in terms of the usage of the LMS? So it's kind of um, all over the place just because of where we're all, there's all the different colleges. So um, you have some colleges that, you know, are very um, structured, very organized in how they use the LMS. So uh, lots of training. Uh, there's templates. There's things that they use that really help them set up those courses. In other parts of colleges, they use the LMS more as just a way to put their content for student to access, for students to access. So they're not necessarily um, using it for evaluations, assignments, things like that. Um, it's more of just a way to get that content to students, which is why we have such a huge push right now with our digital accessibility initiative. We want to make sure that content is accessible to you know all those students that are getting into the LMS. So it's, yeah, it kind of varies throughout throughout each college, different uses. And you all have fully online programs as well. We do. So we have fully online programs. We have three in nursing. So and then we have a couple in the College of Health Professions and graduate studies too, I believe. So we do. Yeah. And kind of historically, who has owned accessibility? How have you approached accessibility with the digital content specifically? So we started about two years to kind of move on this journey towards digital accessibility and what this means for MUSC. It's really been housed in our diversity and inclusion office with our ADA compliance officer. And as we started to dig deeper into it, we found that there were more and more stakeholders that needed to be involved in those high level discussions. So um, we actually had one of our legal counsel individuals start a task force that would move digital accessibility forward. What does this look like? How do we even imagine this at an enterprise? Um, because we're not just a university, we also have a hospital with now 15, 16,000 employees in that hospital where learning is happening on that end as well. So it's starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger and learning happens at every level that we're finding and there's more and more content that's being shared online. So once that task force kind of ended, we started a digital accessibility committee that meets on a biweekly basis, and we dive into auditing what that looks like in each one of the areas, external websites, our hospital side, our university side. Um, we are diving into our purchasing processes, our 700 plus softwares that we have on campus, and what that looks like to audit those and, and ensure that patient care isn't, isn't inadequate because of the softwares that we can provide or can't provide because they're compliant. Um, so again, digging deeper and digging deeper and digging deeper, we're finding more and more content in different places that's being shared with individuals. So even now, we know that there's a long road ahead. But I think that once we started introducing Ally into the puzzle about a year ago, last month, actually, we started to see that there was a little bit of movement, at least on the university side, because the technology was able to support that movement. Yeah, the uh, I'll say the training aspect of Ally has been really key from the time we turned it on because, you know, folks were able to get in there and click around and really, really investigate some of the issues that were showing up on their documents, which was really key. And that led to more questions, whether that was, you know, towards us or towards the folks that, you know, kind of the point people for digital accessibility in their college. 
So it really like jump started the conversation, which I think, you know, just the raising awareness part is such a huge, you know, huge deal when it comes to this, this initiative. Yeah. And just as far as kind of that audit and trying to look across really kind of complex, even kind of fragmented kind of systems, you've been kind of mapping all of that out. What's been the process of checking that from the LMS to the websites to your technology? Has there been a particular strategy that you've been using that other institutions may think about as they try to kind of audit their accessibility? We have tried to take down every single piece of content that we could look at for digital accessibility purposes. And then we found that more was being added on a daily basis. So we almost went to an estimate of, this is our baseline of what we think we might need moving forward and what we know can can kind of be put on the back burner in terms of we probably won't use this once we implement standards. We probably won't need the 60-minute lecture. We'll only need the 10 minutes of the meat of the conversation. So we thought that we would have to take down every single thing. But in reality, it was almost looking forward to the future. And so what does the future of education look like at MUSC? And in those fragmented places, what do they plan to do? And so then we've started to kind of be able to envision this is how much work is going to have to go into this area. These are the priorities in this area. So, so it's actually helped us to look forward which is brought into a lot of other conversations around UDL and best practices in teaching. And it's almost revitalized that side of the conversation a little bit more to say, well, we're not just talking about digital accessibility anymore or, you know, the thousands of pieces of content that have been out there since 1998. Let's relook at your course. Let's relook at that content that you're sharing. Let's talk about what teaching really looks like in a digital world for our students today. Right. It's really been around where we're trying to reframe the entire, well, it's a culture change, first of all. We're really trying to reframe the entire conversation around, you know, teaching best practices for teaching and how this is digital accessibility, you know, is part of teaching, part of that, you know, UDL at all, it comes into one thing. So it's been really interesting to have conversations around that with folks that maybe really haven't considered it before. So actually, you know, this is part of best practices, is part of good teaching, which is really key and, you know, helping them start to understand that, you know, you can, just because you've taught one way, you know, forever, it's okay to change, it's okay to review, it's okay to look back and take a look at, you know, what you're doing and how can it be improved? Because I think teaching is a continually improving process. You know, nobody's ever the perfect teacher. So it's always good to kind of look at and see, you know, what can I do to make my instruction better? When did accessibility really kind of get on the radar as a priority? So at MUSC, we've really hit the ground hard running, not just hit the ground, but running, probably about last August in terms of pushing out to the campus, not just kind of talking about policies, procedures, auditing, what this looks like, kind of higher level conversations, but talking to every single user on campus. We went around and we met with every single unit, even our finance and administration unit. Everybody is involved in this conversation. Everybody is involved in this initiative. And that's what we wanted to portray to them that, sure, this is a legal issue, but we're all in this together to create a more inclusive environment for everyone, not just even our students, but everyone from the time that they look at MUSC to the time that they don't look at MUSC anymore. We want them to have that inclusive sort of experience. So we really hit the ground running last August and have 
we've generated, I think, a lot of buzz around this on campus. People know what digital accessibility is. And our our teachers, our instructors aren't teachers. They're not trained teachers, like Alex said. You know, they may have never heard of UDL before, but now they know what digital accessibility is. Our physicians are walking around the hospital and talking about digital accessibility or this signage isn't accessible. Who do I talk to about that? There are, we're almost crowdsourcing internal complaints so that we can address them and that we can make sure that everybody on any level is getting that inclusive experience. And, and just as an example of that, we gave a presentation on Wednesday about using technology like thoughtfully and effectively. And we had a question afterwards, well, you know, how does this affect digital accessibility? So, I mean, we're getting questions, you know, just people are thinking about it, which is awesome. Um, so that's, yeah. And do you also have those people that are thinking about it in terms of, well, I don't have students with disabilities, right? Doc, we don't typically think of a doctor as somebody that's going to have a disability or a nurse as somebody that has a visual impairment, right? There are certain necessities. So how do you approach those kind of conversations because they also happen in other other domains as well right i don't have a blind student in my course why would i why would i care about that what has that conversation looked like um so i think for from faculty when we speak to faculty about it you know we just bring it back to that to that udl part to that um you know we you want as a as a teacher as a as a faculty member you want your students to have the most access to content possible. So if they have better access to content, they're going to retain more information and they're going to, you know, have a higher success rate. So that's something, you know, we just, we really want to t constantly tie it back to teaching. I think, you know, sometimes there's confusions between uh, what's an accommodation and what accessibility really means. So we're trying to break down, break down that barrier and really, really, um, you know, get faculty to understand that they're, they're separate and, you know, we really need to have content out there that everybody has equitable access to. So everybody has a you know fair, fair game, fair playing field. And healthcare is changing. Right. Our environment's changing. There are dentists out there that have one arm or low mobility. There are physicians out there who may have had a stroke after residency, but are still practicing. There are a lot of different circumstances in our lives. So let's say there are these admission standards. We don't accept anybody, which is also not true. We do accept people with disabilities into all of our healthcare professions. And so I think just, again, getting faculty out of that mindset of, well, I had to go through this, so you have to go through this rigor, or you don't look like me. I think that that perception is changing slowly, but like Alex said, it's a culture change. We have to get people out of that healthcare mindset, of that rigor mindset, and say, you're not losing the rigor at all. You are offering more opportunities to a wider audience. And we do have nurses on campus that I know have low vision are legally blind, but there's a spectrum. And so I think that, again, getting people outside of this accommodations versus accessibility, getting them outside of, well, since you're legally blind, this is what that means. Almost re-educating our healthcare professionals at the instructor level and physicians who are going into patient care offices. What digital accessibility means, what disabilities even mean, I think is really is really picking up on campus and people are really talking about it and starting to question a lot more things than just the digital realm. But 
how are we providing better patient care? How is this going to change compassion? How is this going to talk about empathy in our classroom? So, so it's actually a really amazing conversation in the healthcare professions, especially because they're going to be working with a diverse audience for the rest of their life. So they need to be able to understand that we need to give everybody that opportunity. We went and talked to the SGA and the students were very open to digital accessibility. They had no questions, no concerns, no anything. They were fine with it. They loved it. I mean, more opportunities for studying and retention, sign me up. So it really is kind of changing that that old school mindset of healthcare professionals. Sure. And, and just another example, you spoke about the uh, nursing, you know, uh, students, just because I, I may never want to be a, a nurse on the floor, but I may want to do like research in nursing or a prerequisite to that is I have to have my, you know, undergraduate degree in nursing. So I think, you know, we, we can't just frame it as in, oh, you can't be a nurse because you have this disability. Well, I mean, I may not, you know, I may have higher aspirations past, you know, just having an undergraduate degree. So that's something else I think to consider too. And I love this connection around empathy, empathy for patients, and then thinking about it being empathetic to student needs. I mean, that seems like it's just such a, such a synergy there mm-hmm. between how healthcare works and how education works. Mm-hmm. And they are two industries, I think, that share very close similarities in terms of that care, empathy towards others that of difference, of diversity, of different needs and abilities and things like that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's been really interesting on campus to see the culture change because there really has been a, a very deep culture change that I don't know if anything in a kind of our recent history at MUSC has changed the culture this much besides digital accessibility because it impacts everyone accommodations, you know, that only impacted a certain few or maybe faculty that got the paperwork, but this impacts everybody and we're all in it together. And I don't know that there's been a movement like this in a while. And so it's really interesting to see this develop with that human touch, with the technology touch, with how allies kind of come into play, how conversations with individual faculty have come into play, spotlighting people, spotlighting programs or groups that are working for it's just been a really cool experience on campus and you know i I think once you kind of you spotlight those champions you spotlight those departments that are really like pushing forward with it i think that's great because it really you know they're able folks can take a look at that and say well you know they've had success we can do the same thing it's totally it's achievable which is which is you know something we really want to encourage what do you attribute this culture change i imagine it's a lot of different factors i mean there's conversations outside of the university and inclusion, diversity, or just, do you think it's just a potpourri of factors that are contributing to that? For sure. And we have a lot of peer institutions that we've been talking to in the state that have really helped us kind of imagine what this looks like at MUSC because a lot of our faculty will say, well, I went to a conference and I talked to my peers and they don't even know what digital accessibility is. And I said, well, that's a good thing. We're on the forefront of something really amazing in healthcare that we're going to be providing this for our students and be leading the way for other people to provide this sort of opportunity to their students as well and kind of envision what that looks like. So us maybe being one of the first or only people in the healthcare professions, especially at the enterprise level that have ally, is really important to us because we want to lead the way. We want to pave the way of what this looks like 
I mean, this is a tough culture change. Healthcare professions are, they're really ingrained with this sort of culture and, and we're changing that. And it's, it's amazing to see. Changing what's possible. We're going Changing what's possible. That's our little tagline. There you go. Changing what's possible. Put it in there. Yeah, yeah thank exactly. you. <laughs> so how did you come across Ally? And what was, what was appealing about, I mean, that it kind of fit into this broader set of solutions that you're looking for to support that accessibility? So Ally kind of came into a conversation on the whim with our account executive. And she brought it up and she said, you should get this. I think that this would be really good for you. And I said, what is this digital accessibility thing? I'm not even on a committee that even talks about this yet. And, and she really pushed for us to get that in our package. And it was really important for her to say, you need this. You're going to need this. And, and you want to get this right now. You want to be the first people to get this. And so it was actually Leslie Sands, our account exec, who is absolutely fantastic, really pushing us to get it. And it was the easiest sell, I think, that I've ever made to leadership, which is the weirdest thing. Because there, you can't fight Ally. You can't fight what it does. And at the time, I was in office of one. And so Ally is like a team of 15 amazing instructional designers that you know can get in there at any time in any place in the faculty space in their space and gives them what they need to know about digital accessibility and how to remediate their documents i mean how can you fight that to be honest it was it was a pretty kind of perfect storm for us and when we rolled out it was it was fire hose rollout. We just turned it on and let it loose. And it was very interesting that we didn't get any pushback at all from faculty. It was probably more questions on the college level of like, well, what's this red thing showing up? That's not good. I'm, I'm going to get it green like the rest of them. And so we started a small campaign when we first rolled it out and did kind of like sit-ins where people could come by and learn about all of the different types of issues that they would see popping up. And it was really, I think, kind of effective because we did monthly campaigns about issues and this is what you're seeing and kind of a go green campaign. And and I think throughout the year, we just saw more and more and more usage from the faculty's end and less and less questions for me, which was amazing. So it's been the work of 15 people that I definitely could not have done. And so for small teams, this is this is a very important tool, I think, that can, can help support faculty where they're at without you having to be the end-all be-all of any question or know how to do everything in every single circumstance. If I'm a Mac user versus a Windows user, if I'm using Microsoft Office versus Le whatever it is, it gives you the directions for you. You can't fight right. that. <laughs> and, and it allows faculty to, you know, already have a baseline of knowledge so they can ask, you know, pointed questions. So I may get an ally and see that my PDF isn't tagged. Well, I can find out, you know, what that means, how to fix it, why is it important. So when they come to us with questions, you know, we don't have to start from the very beginning, you know, around digital accessibility. And so they already have that, that kind of like background uh, knowledge, which I think is really important when it comes to like training and questions. So have you been seeing in some of the trainings and your work with faculty that that awareness piece has really been key for how those trainings have unfolded? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, you know, them being able to come in with the awareness, you know, knowing some of the things they're going to have to remediate or some of the things they're going to have to fix. And that way they, again, you know, they come with those 
pointed questions so we can really focus on, you know, what do they need to know? We can train from there. And one of the great things like the Go Green campaign is if you work with faculty, it's really great to see their faces kind of light up when you know, their gauge goes green because they feel it's the feeling of accomplishment. Like even when I use Ally and make things, you still feel good about it. To see that, you know, jump from 24% to 100%. So I think that's, you know, that's something really cool. We had a faculty in a meeting the other day. The meeting had nothing to do with education. And we start out with wins in all of our meetings. And he stood up and showed his computer. And I was like, what is he doing? What is on his computer? And then I saw his course and open. And I, he said, I just wanted to share my win that I made one of my courses all green. And it was just like his face lit up. And he was just so happy. And I was like, that guy is one of our toughest researchers. And he, he's doing all this accessibility stuff. How did he learn this? What is he doing? Who has he talked to? So I reached out to the college and they were like, he did this all on his own. He just wanted to champion and do this. And so putting, putting that power in the faculty's hands where they see their gauges, where they, they have the power to change their content, it is I mean, just seeing his face light up was just, that was it. That was it for me. I was like, I'm sold. Right. And that's a great motivator to everybody else in the room too. They see that and they go back to their areas and, you know, it's really, it's great to see. So. And now you all are talking about some of the, the successes. There's of course some major challenges in rolling out Ally um, or, you know, or not, maybe not just in rolling out Ally, but then getting, getting that movement, getting to that, to that green level. Um, especially in your context where you're dealing with some some particularly challenging kinds of content. You want to talk maybe a little bit about some of the challenges that you see in the content from an accessibility perspective and how you're thinking about those types of strategies, especially incorporating some of those UDL principles in, into thinking about that? Sure, yeah. So some of the challenges we really come across, we have a lot of, um, you know, being a medical university, a lot of complex images, a lot of complex tables, things like that. So one of the biggest challenges we have, you know, around specific challenges, uh, alternative text. So, you know, if I have an image during my lecture and I'm, you know, spending 20 minutes um, describing it, make that send a gift to students afterwards, how do I explain, you know, what just happened in that alt text? So we really had to do a lot of education around how to write effective alt text. And then, you know, if you do have to do that longer description or, you know, provide more information, externally link that out or send the students somewhere to where they can get that same information. That's been probably our biggest or the most, the questions I get most often are around things like that just because we have so many complex images and tables and things like that. And definitely in the healthcare professions and I'm sure in all professions, there's so much content to cover. So there's so much content that they want to put online, that they want to share, that they want to have available for the students. And that so much content can just add tons of time to try to remediate it. So where do I even start? What are the issues? What are the main issues? So really diving deep into just take a deep breath. Alex always starts his training with let's take a deep breath together because we're diving in and this is going to be a lot. But we're just going to take baby steps and just start slow and start somewhere. Just start somewhere, anywhere. Just start. And so I think the idea of I have all this content in this mountain ahead of me. Well, just start climbing because we're all climbing our own mountain in our own way. So I know I looked at my course for this spring that I was teaching. I was like, oh, do I have to too? Like, do I have to make my stuff accessible? I'll just put it somewhere else and link to it or, you know, just try to get around it. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, I'm even trying to find loopholes around digital accessibility. And so 
I realized that I had to dive in too. And I had to take the time to, to, to go through the process to really feel that pain because it is painful. Our, our faculty are in clinics when they're not teaching and they don't have time to remediate. So we're trying to just take baby bites, baby steps towards the end goal of compliance at some point, but we will get there. It's just going to be a slower pace. Right. Our message is we, we want this to feel realistic. We want it to feel achievable. So we don't want you to feel like everything, all of your content has to be accessible by this date because that's just not realistic. So we, we really want to push that message forward and also the message of, you know, you're supported. There are a lot of folks around here that are more than willing to help you um, whether you know it's your ed tech team, your IT team, champions within your area, within your college. So I think you know being able to get that message out as well, like you're you're not alone, which I think is really important in something like this. Like you know, know know you're supported in this. It's not you know, not, not by yourself. Now I imagine another challenge that you all are seeing, and we certainly see it at other institutions. And you're probably uh, your faculty rely a lot on medical journals and sharing journal content into the courses. And we know a lot of times that publisher journal content is not accessible. Uh, Want to talk a little bit about the relationship that you have with the librarian? Is that a new kind of relationship that blossomed because of Ally, because of a shared mission around this? So I love librarians. I think they are brilliant people and everyone should have a librarian on their team at all times. So we actually have always had a librarian on our kind of ed tech community team. Um, and they've always been represented as part of the team. And I actually brought her in very early into the conversation around Ally, how are we gonna do this? What does this mean for journal articles? How can we work around this? What do we need to be doing? What do we need to be thinking about? And she um, has just been so great. One of the major benefits to having our particular librarian on our team is she has an instructional design degree. Um, So she understands a lot of the pieces around the LMS. So she's been able to really dive in very, very deep and say, okay, this is what exactly needs to be done. And so recently, our librarian whole team, which is, again, they're amazing, um, they've jumped in and they said, okay, we have this form. Any faculty across the campus can fill this out. What we'll do is we'll offer our services to go into your course and we will update every single journal article that you have in your course and make sure that it's linked correctly, that it's updated correctly, that we're, we're citing correctly in there. And so they've they've kind of taken this on themselves, which is a huge portion of probably our accessibility institutional score is those journal articles. So they've really kind of championed this piece all on their own because they feel like this is this is their part that they can play. And so I feel like that's kind of been our mantra is, what part can you play in this? How can you help with the bigger picture. It's not just us standing up in front of the classroom talking about this. We're all talking about this. What part are you playing in that game? And so it's just been amazing to see people step up and say, oh yeah, I, I'm good at this. I can do this or I can help out this way and really truly care about it too and, and not just do a poor job at it. They really want everybody to be successful. They want our faculty to be successful. They want our students to be successful. They want our residents, all, all of our graduate medical age education, which you, 
extremely utilizes our learning management system to be successful to for our physicians who are doing grand rounds online to be successful. So it's learning happens so many different ways and they've really stepped up to help out. And they've been specifically using the library reference tool in Ally to add those references, add the metadata to the content to help students access accessible formats or get the HTML content from library databases. So that's been pretty cool to see the use of that tool. I know a lot of people in Ally community users are sometimes confused about what to do with that library reference, but it sounds like you all have found a really kind of critical way to use that to link to those databases to help with the content. Our librarian was saying yesterday that it went from 0% accessible, right, of course, no no PDF that's downloaded from really any journal is accessible to 100% accessible just by putting in that library reference because it links out to a place where students can get that accessible version. So the library reference, I think, is a hidden gem in Ally that has really helped us because it's built into the tool. It's not something extra like now I have to create a URL and delete this old thing. It's built right in. So it's always adding this metadata into all of the pieces of the, the content. And has it also, as faculty are kind of looking at their content again and thinking about the usability, has that been an entry point for how you, Alex, are talking about UDL with them? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think I think one of the one of the key aspects around that is really through Ally explaining those alternative formats, which has been really great to be able to you know show faculty Ally and then go, well, by the way, from the student side, they have access to all these different formats and they can do all these different things with the content so you know when you explain that the faculty again you know you kind of see their faces light up around that because oh you mean i put my content in in this way but it can it students can can grab it this this entirely other way and be able to listen to it or you know um, get the epub version and annotate and mark and things like that i think is really cool and it's really powerful and it, it also it leads uh, i can always start with that but it also leads you know uh, bigger conversations around uh, how are you, you know, representing your content, how are you assessing students, how are you providing uh, multiple ways to demonstrate what they know. So not only uh, around UDL that we I can talk about it from the student side, alternative formats, and you know, there's different means they can get it, but it also kind of leads down you know, the path to the bigger, bigger conversations about how they're designing their courses, which is really interesting. Yeah, I think that's really cool because it really is more than just the content itself, right? right? You're right. thinking about how do they move through a course, right. through a module, right. you know, how are they being assessed? I think that that's mm. such a key piece as well. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Melissa mentioned earlier, uh, faculty, sometimes the mindset is here, you know, is this is how I went through, you know, this school and this is how I was assessed. This is how, you know, you should have to demonstrate demonstrate your knowledge. So I think, you know, being able to open up that, that conversation uh, as well of how you move through a course and then how your how your knowledge assess or how you you know demonstrate what you know I, th I think it's it's definitely a hard hard issue to tackle around you know the medical medical field but I think it's again as we have you know a more diverse student population and we have all these great tools to demonstrate or assess you know what you know I think you know that conversation is just going to get or hopefully uh, that conversation gets bigger uh, going forward. And we looked at your alternative format usage yesterday. We looked at some of your instructor feedback usage. Were you surprised at what you were seeing there? Was it pretty exciting to see that these things were actually being taken up? It was especially the uh, alternative format usage. We have not done any campaigns around, you know, students using this little drop-down arrow 
And if they find it, then they use it. But we've never really told them about it. So they're finding it and they're using it. Our data was actually, for me, very surprising and really amazing that students are using all content in all different ways, in a lot of different ways. And so the usage of these, I mean, they're probably sitting in Charleston traffic, listening to their lecture on their way into class so that they're ready for the next class. It's just absolutely amazing to see how broadly the content was used and how much it was uh, downloaded in alternative formats. I think the instructor feedback was also, uh, and, and engagement was very interesting to me because I didn't know that that many people were getting in and and remediating their documents. That, that to me, is amazing. I mean, it, it only proves that if you kind of put it out there, people, it's easy to learn. People will kind of pick it up. And I mean, yeah, we have to kind of continually push and push the cause of it, the why of it, but they're doing it. People have done it without our help. I think I think once we really, you know, uh, focus our efforts on putting a student uh, campaign together, I think our numbers are just going to, you know, skyrocket from there. Especially, it'll be an easy sell uh, for the audio version, especially for traffic around here. So yeah. you know, that'll, that'll be nice. So we, yeah. always, we can always sell it with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's really going to be awesome once we start that really, really big student rollout. And I think one of the interesting things, too, in our conversations yesterday was it's a very data-driven culture here. You have a research culture, you have a medical culture, and accessibility previously was kind of less data-driven, right? It was kind of more trying to figure out content. Has the allies kind of numerical and data-based approach, having that institutional report, has that been really helpful? And also, we also talked about some of the challenges in those numbers and how they can be a little misleading. Do you want to yeah. touch a little bit about just how you're thinking about that data-based approach? Yeah, and I think the data that comes out of the institutional report has been extremely helpful for us and, and a little misleading because of the way that content is sometimes portrayed or we misunderstand, you know, with Ally versus without Ally, what that truly means. There's a lot of different pieces that go into the rating of each one of the pieces of content. And I think really drilling down and understanding that and trying to communicate that in a in lay language to our leadership. And it has been very difficult, I think. It's been uh, just data for a person that loves data. I love data and data is what drives what I do. Data is what I live by. It's also been, it's also almost complicated things more because now I have a number behind things. Now our faculty are really harping on, well, it's 20%. Uh, what if it's 50%? What is, what is the number? What's the special number from my end that I need to get to? Because black and white, very black and white in a research culture. So so what is that number? And us living in the gray of like, well, necessarily, you know, let's get to green, but what does that mean? You know, if it's still not usable. And so it's really a case by case instance that we have to work with them on. And I think that's where Alex has really shined is he's able to really dig into the content and talk to the people about what does this mean and how can I use this and do this? And that's probably our next step. Now that we have all this data, we've been in this for a year, what's the next step for us? And I think it's really digging down to probably individual consultations. That's what- I was gonna say, I think- Which you is know, most those, successful, right, yeah. Right, those, those individual reports that we're gonna be able to send and really, really highlight and you know, uh, be able to send them a report you know, and say, you know, maybe target some things 
and then you know have them you know train with them or work with them one on one and then you know send them a, a report after where they've gone and be able to remediate the content i think that's really i think that's really great because they're able to see the strides that they're personally making so again i think the the really like the personal touch the one on one you know trainings i think that's really really key in this in this whole thing we've been able to show with the institutional reporting kind of some leaps that we've taken from semester to semester. So from last spring to this spring, where are we at? And showing a number to leadership has been very powerful. I've even heard our provost use that number in a conversation. And it's just really kind of empowering to see such an integral tool become almost highlighted at a leadership level where they're using these numbers in their conversations, where they're using these numbers to kind of drive motivation. I mean, I think it, it's a good thing and a bad thing. So, so we have to kind of be very, very careful around how data is given out and how data is used from this. But the amount of data that we've been provided from this has just been very, very helpful for us to kind of dig down on points that we want to focus on. And you also mentioned that in thinking about kind of next steps and moving forward, that you're also seeing Ally being used not just in the course context, but also for checking content that's being pushed publicly for that broader population that you mentioned, all the patients, everybody that's involved in this medical community. Do you seeing that continuing to move forward and how you're leveraging that tool to really support that broader community? It was amazing when we kind of opened it up to everybody outside of the colleges. Our our research kind of arm jumped on, our hospital arm jumped on, our communications jumped on. We have people using it in very unique ways, not just for teaching and learning, but also for checking their content and learning how to remediate it. Because it's not always clear in a lot of the tools that we have on how to remediate content. So we've seen it utilized in updating uh, external websites, in updating communication uh, sort of protocols and different things that they're putting out there within the library for research. So just a lot of different ways. So this tool isn't just for teaching and learning. It teaches everybody how to remediate documents. Again, it's that in their face, in their place, in their time, in their space. So we don't have to necessarily start at square one. Like Alex said, we can have those upper level conversations of how do we take this to the next level? How do we use this content once it's now accessible? And I think anytime you give some, you know, give a user a tool that that is, you know, easy to understand and also is effective, I think is, is super key because, um, you know, Ally is very, very user, user friendly. In my opinion, you know, you don't need a ton of instruction to be able just to jump in and use Ally right away, which I think is, is really important because if, if you give someone a tool and they can't figure out, you know, within five to 10 minutes, they become frustrated. Or something like Ally, very, very usable, very easy to understand. And then, you know, you, you, see, you see it's effective. You see the meter move, things like that. So again, I think that's really important. Wow, a huge thanks to Melissa and Alex for sharing a little bit about their story and how they're using Blackboard Ally to address some of these complex accessibility challenges that they see at the medical school. I think it's really exciting to see how they're bringing together different stakeholders on campus to address some of these complex accessibility issues, like working with library services to identify 
untagged PDFs from journal articles and using Allies Library Reference to replace them with links to more accessible versions in the library database. By making equity and inclusion key pillars of the institution, Medical University of South Carolina is really challenging historical notions of disability, challenging that deficit orientation, and thinking about the unique kinds of abilities that people bring with them into the learning environment and into the workplace. Leveraging those diverse perspectives, diverse abilities to support new kinds of innovation, foster more connected kinds of communities, and ultimately build a better patient care community, a better hospital, a better society. And so thanks again for joining us on the Blackboard Ally Tour podcast series. Until the next episode, connect with us on Twitter at hashtag BBAlly and hashtag BBAllyTour2019. Thanks so much and see you next time on the road to inclusivity. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac. You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AllyTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Ally Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclusivity.